So this is a post I started right around Thanksgiving 2019, intending it to be a well-timed thankfulness message. Unfortunately, life and work got in the way, and I didn't finish it until just now, almost the end of the calendar year. But being one that believes in things happening for a reason, I guess I needed time to work out the ideas in my head a little bit, you know, regardless of when the Thanksgiving holiday came and went. And it turns out it's good that I put this post away for a little bit because I've had a chance to dig into Sean Akers' The Happiness Advantage and uh, the companion parable, I guess you'd call it, the, the orange frog. And I guess in the what you might call the things happening for a reason category, that book has helped me process a conversation that I'm going to describe in a minute here. Uh, it's helped me process that conversation in a different way. To paraphrase one of his main theses, if that's the right word, Iker argues that happiness precedes success. The more positive you feel, the more likely you are to maximize your energy, your productivity, and performance. And as a result, that leads to more success. It's not the other way around. We tend to think that if I'm successful, then I will be happy. Aker is arguing it's the other way around. If you're feeling more happy and more optimistic, that's going to drive success, actually. He writes, quote, When our brains scan for and focus on the positive, we profit from three of the most important tools available to us, happiness, gratitude, and optimism. So I'm going to leave that there for a little bit. The conversation I, I alluded to uh, went something like this. A colleague recent share, recently shared with me that a job opportunity had come up for her. It's a superintendency in a different area in a different county. And that person does not currently work in the same county I do. It's a person I've known for some time. This would be kind of a big position. It would be a big change for, for her. Um, many more students and staff, much more public-facing role. And as we discussed this, and I asked her questions about her current role compared to the proposed new role, I internally asked myself the same questions. And, and by the way, that's not because I'm interested in that job or any job. Spoiler alert, I'm incredibly blessed to be in the position that I'm in. But here are some of the considerations that we discussed. And I'm not going to elaborate on her answers, but I will talk about my mental checklist. So the first question I asked is, what about your students? What about the students where you're at now? And what about the students at this proposed new district? And both, both of our answers are really similar. Students are amazing, and they remain why we stay in education. One of my standard catchphrases is that kids are kids, no matter where you go. And that's not exactly true. Students have different needs in different districts, and that's something to consider when you're thinking about yourself in a leadership role. There might be more academic anxiety in one district versus another, or more racial inequities that need to be addressed, or economic pressures on students. You might have a population that has serious concerns about how the immigration debate, such as it is, is going. That's something to consider. These are all issues in any district that you might be serving in, but some issues are more pressing than others, and you gotta think about whether you're the right person to lead that district based on those specific student needs. One, one concern for my colleague was that she would be taken further away from students and into a district office that's not connected to a school. And for those of you that aren't you know, totally familiar with education, a school is where students are and they tend to frequent. And it's hard to keep connections with kids when, they're, when you're not around kids. You know, I am very fortunate to be around students every day. I work in a district office that is connected to a school, so if I'm having a bad day, I can just go off and go into a classroom and remind myself why I'm here, why we're doing this job. Or I can go to our other school, which is relatively close, and, and go into a classroom there. So that, that's really 
an amazing thing and something I'm very grateful for that I have a, I can keep connections with students. So next question, I asked her, what, what's the community like? Again, I will speak about my current position. We, we have an amazing supportive community. If we're doing something right, our community will let us know. If we're not, our community will let us know, and that's fine. It's usually not in an adversarial way, um, but they will let us know, hey, th this needs to get better, and we trust you to get on it, and we will help where we can. And it's not like that everywhere, so that's something I'm, I'm very, very grateful about. Same question about the staff. What's your staff like? What's your current staff like? What's the proposed, or the, the staff in the new district possibly gonna be like? Talk to me about your teachers, your support staff. We have amazing, creative, dedicated teachers and a support staff that cares just as much about students as the teaching staff. They care first and foremost about student learning and student well-being, but they also care about each other. The staff at District 127 in Grace Lake works hard, but also cares about making the district a positive place for human beings. Our staff does things and comes up with experiences for students and solves problems in ways that I never would have come up with in a million years. And that's a lot of fun, and that's really exciting to see, and it makes it a great place to work. My colleague and I also talked about, about our administrative team. A, a great admin team is so key as I've found, um, not rocket science really. But all of this comes back to Jim Collins' work in Good to Great. And if you know that work at all, he uses the metaphor of getting the right people on the bus. And I mean that for our teaching staff, our educational support staff, food service, maintenance, security, administration, everyone. And I'm thankful that we have that here. We have people who are creative and dedicated and don't stop until the job is done and we've done right by students as much as is humanly possible. So this is a staff that understands the importance of culture in a district and in a school, and I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. All right, next question. What about the board? A school board that has its priorities straight is, I, I can't even describe how important that is. One of the things they don't teach in superintendent school is, is really how to work with a school board. It's a structure that's so unlike anything we deal with in education, or probably most jobs outside of a CEO position, I suppose. The Open Meetings Act also makes that relationship tricky. We can't have a discussion with the entire board unless it's publicly announced and it's a posted meeting. And there are other restrictions about communicating with a full board. I won't bore anyone with that right now. But it's all okay, it's all good, because we want our decisions, and the board should want its decisions to be made out in the open. Um, but my point is that the structure is very different. It can be really wonderful to work with, but it can be pretty challenging sometimes too. Anyway, our board has its priorities absolutely straight. I've told others that I've had experience with boards who do not have their priorities straight, put it that way. Although, thankfully, not in any districts I've, that I've personally worked in. I've seen from a relatively close vantage point how damaging that can be. All I'll say is that things can get really ugly really fast. When boards get into political gamesmanship or have personal reasons for making decisions that aren't related to the students in the district. Okay? That impacts students, and it impacts students quickly. We can have disagreements and we can have debates, and the board's job is to hold us accountable. But so long as we trust each other and it comes back to students at the end of the day, that, that's key. Our board members 
are here for the good of students and to be here as representatives of the community. That does not mean they rubber stamp everything we do, and they shouldn't. As I say, they're here to ask questions, to hold us accountable, and make sure the school is aligned with community values. Long story short, they make sure we're doing right by our students, and that's why they're here. I also know that can change in a heartbeat with one election, right? But the culture of our board is solid, and I'm incredibly thankful of that. One of my other questions was, what's support like in the area? And I mean among other superintendents. What's your support like now in the position you're at and where you're going to be going, potentially? Again, I'll speak for myself. We have a highly supportive group of colleagues in Lake County. And one of the things about the superintendency, or probably most leadership positions, is that it tends to be lonely. When you're on an algebra team, right, and you have an issue, you go to the rest of your team and get help, to get advice, to vent, whatever. You've got probably a number of people you can go to. Um, as a superintendent, you don't really always have that. You know, sometimes the issues that come up are so unique, and you don't know the first thing about where to get started. Right? This isn't, you know, something that comes up in chapter one of superintendent school. Right? It's not in the book. I'm not trying to whine about it. It's just a reality. It's part of the gig. But the support that I have here, the ability to be able to blast out an email to dozens of superintendents to ask a question and get dozens of responses in less than a day, or to be able to pick up a phone and talk or text or tweet or use Voxer, whatever that is, I don't know how you can do this job without that kind of support. Um, so absolutely critical, completely grateful for that. So wrapping all of this up, you know, above all, everyone in the organization I am currently with in Gray's Lake, everybody cares, right? There aren't really political agendas that hinder or alter the educational mission. And that means everybody, board, teachers, support staff, admin, everyone. Yep, we have differences of opinion. We have dust-ups from time to time at every level. And do we get it right every time? Nope, of course not. I believe that we get it right far more often than not, right? When we don't, we usually err on the side that benefits students and we learn from our mistakes, right? It's a big, crazy, complex job. A lot of stars have to align to make it the right, the right place for one person as an individual to do this work. I'll speak for myself, those stars have aligned for me. So, bringing it back to the happiness advantage, right? How does this relate to all of Sean Aker's work? He writes, quote, when our brains scan for and focus on the positive, we profit from three of the most important tools available to us, happiness, gratitude, and optimism. To paraphrase one of his main theses, Aker argues that happiness precedes success, right, as I kind of mentioned. The more positive you feel, the more likely you are to maximize your energy, your productivity, and performance, and as a result, this leads to more success. One of the strategies that Aker suggests is, is to find three things that you're grateful for on a daily basis. That keeping those things in, a front, in the front of your brain, as opposed to all the problems and annoyances and, and stuff that can take up so much of our conscious mind, but if you're keeping those positive things in the front of your brain, in the front of your mind, that can help you be more excited and happy and joyful about what you do, and again, that leads to more success. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just quote Aker in The Happiness Advantage. 
So just as it takes days of concentrated practice to master a video game, training your brain to notice more opportunities takes practice focusing on the positive. The best way to kickstart this is to start making a daily list of the good things in your job, your career, and your life. And it may sound hokey, he writes, or ridiculously simple. And indeed, the activities itself is simple, but over a decade of empirical studies has proven the profound effect it has on the way our brains are wired. So that's just a quick quote from, from Akers' work, but as it turns out, that's evidently what I was doing in having this conversation and this internal dialogue with myself about my current position, my current district. So I am so happy to be where I'm at and, and extraordinarily fortunate to be a part of the work that we're doing. I think we tend to be so overly critical of ourselves and sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees, right? It does help to stop and survey all of the good that we do. Now, does anyone really care about how I feel about my job? Probably not. But um, we are going to be hearing more about Sean Eager's work in our district, so I'm, I'm practicing what I think we're going to be preaching in the very near future. It's exciting stuff, and it will all come out in due time. As far as this podcast... This is sort of the relaunch of it. I've been trying to do podcasting for a while and haven't really been able to find a good a good flow. Um, I think in the future it'll be a lot of sharing the good that's gone on in the district and what, what's coming up as well, as well as giving our staff time to talk about what's important to them. We, we shall see. I think it's going to evolve from here for sure. So if you've made it this far in the podcast, thank you for the listening, and until next time. <laughs>